0: there already, turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 35. Uh, But before I get into the text, I do want to thank you guys. I'm not sure. I do want to thank you guys. I am very excited, very excited to get to serve you guys, to feed a regular diet of the Word of God. Uh, Yeah, my wife and I are blessed beyond words, and we're blessed by you guys. And uh, we really do look forward to that. And I look forward to serving the Lord's Supper with you, being with you on a regular basis and being able to know your needs and pray for you and to serve you where you're at, wherever you're at. And to see all of us grow together in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And on that note, I just, I usually do this at the end, like, hey, I'm Nick Krause and introduce myself. I always wait until the end and I always forget. But I don't want to forget this time to thank The mothers, Lord, uh, the Lord has blessed us with mothers. And that is something that I think, especially in our day and age, is so overlooked. We don't know even what a woman is without God's word, without its testimony to say how God made us, made us male and female. And God blesses the ordinary, ordinary raising of children, pointing them to Jesus going to church on a regular basis, hearing his word and having our souls fed, having the gospel presented to us week by week so that we may know who Jesus is and trust in him. And that's where we're at in our text. We're reading the Holy Spirit's biography of Jesus. And what we're going to focus on today is what we just sang about in that last song, seeing what the greatness of his mercy is towards us sinners we're going to see the compassion of of jesus and what that really means and looking at the context of uh, the title of this sermon is the compassion on demand jesus's compassion being on demand and seeing how that demand that people have of jesus's compassion is often misunderstood But it also gives us, while the people are misunderstanding Jesus and what he's doing, Jesus does not get distracted from his mission. And we get to see really clearly into the heart of Jesus and his care for sinners, and what that looks like and what that actually means. So first, let's just, we're going to actually, usually I went through verse by verse explaining how You know, just walking through the text, but I think it might be helpful this time just to take a scan to see how all these verses, all ten verses, speak to the people's confusion. The looking at first the demand of the people, the demand that they have for Jesus' compassion, and then looking throughout the text to see the clarity that this brings, this text brings to the person of Jesus and what his purpose is. So let's first look at the crowd's demand and what it reveals about them. Where we left off last time was looking at Jesus' authority throughout the text. Jesus had the authority to preach. People would follow him just by the mere command of his word. Demons would even listen and submit to his his authority in verses 21 through 28. And Jesus, by even just merely going into someone's home, saying the word and the disease was gone from peter's mother-in-law and with such authority there's a un, you know not a very surprising result that people start noticing jesus and start flocking to him and where we ended last time which was now about a month ago was in verse 33 where the whole city is gathered at jesus's front door or really peter's mother-in-law front door. They're gathered around his door. He's healing them late into the night. He healed many with various diseases and cast out many demons and would not permit them to speak because they knew him. And this is where we're at in our text. It's at night. He has been healing people all day. He's been preaching. He's been seeing demons being cast out The crowd was gathered at the door, they went away for the night, and Jesus rose very early in the morning, while it was still dark, and he departed to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him, and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came. What is this crowd demanding? Well, they're demanding what they're after him for, what they're actually pursuing him. Verse 36, that Simon and those who were with him were pursuing Jesus. And what they were looking for was what they had come for him the day before, which was for healing, healing from various diseases. People, this, this world is a broken world, full of many different needs, diseases, demon possessions. People who are broken are coming. And the message that Jesus is a Savior, wants to help, cares about sinners, it's not one that actually puts off people. It's actually one that draws people in. If you look at the fastest growing sects of Christianity, and I'm putting Christianity in air quotes here, it's the health and wealth gospel. There are preachers in this world who preach that they can heal. They'll set up crusades like a Benny Hinn, who will set up a crusade for thousands and thousands of people to pay him money. And if they have enough faith, he will bring them in and he will heal them with also air quotes. And people flock to this stuff. This should not surprise us. I think it's the last number I saw, it said in 2018 that 50,000 people a week attend Joel Osteen's church. And if you do not know Joel Osteen, his message is that God loves you and wants your best life to be now. He wants, uh, the message he preaches is that God does not want anyone to suffer, but instead to experience health, wealth, and prosperity, in other words, the good news he preaches to people is that God wants you happy in this life and not to experience suffering. But that's not the good news Jesus preaches. Jesus, if the good news that Jesus preached was health and wealth to live your best life now, what does that say about heaven? What does that say about the afterlife. Jesus' promises are, he promises people eternal life. He preaches a message actually in verse 15. The summary of his message of chapter 1 is that fulfilled is the time. Near is the kingdom. And these miracles that these people are experiencing are meant to be evidence that what he's saying is true. That his kingdom is near. That the time is fulfilled for the Messiah to come. But just like today, people often focus on the miraculous and want the benefits of, uh, of health, wealth, and prosperity over the person. And what they're actually looking at, what do these miracles actually mean? And we see this as an example in the leper that comes to Jesus. The leper who comes to Jesus, he came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, and said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. The if you will here is not a if you are able to heal me from my leprosy, that you can make me clean. It's a... a, it's a request of desire. He knows that if Jesus desires to heal him, that he is able. First, note his faith. He's not really doubting that Jesus is able or not to heal him. What, he, what he's asking is he knows that if Jesus is really willing to help him, he comes pleading, that word imploring, begging, pleading, He's pleading for Jesus that he would be willing, desirous, to help him. And in here, the focus, we've already seen Jesus relieve people and his ability to cast out demons and them having no say in the matter. We saw that Jesus had the authority over disease, being able to cast it out. And sometimes when we look at leprosy, especially in our age, we think primarily in terms of disease, which it is. Leprosy here could have referred to any number of different skin diseases. I think it's about 47 different diseases, the worst of which, if we're looking at just the disease of it, is Hansen's disease, where people lose their their sense of touch, where their fingers and their toes... Become so numb and so the skin so corroded, and all the nervous system in those areas are so defective that they cannot feel anything and they end up losing those fingers and toes. He could have had the very worst end of the disease, or he could have had a different sense of it. It seems like because he's begging him for help that he probably had something like a Hansen's disease. But what he asked Jesus for is not mere healing, but cleansing. Look at verse 40, he asked for cleansing. Jesus, when he heals him, he says that he will cleanse him. And when it's accomplished in verse 42, he made him clean. See, this leper who came up and had faith in Jesus, yes, he was experiencing severe, probably physical trauma, physical pain. But his problem was more than that. Leviticus 13 and 14 deals with leprosy. And the, the end result of the law, since the law cannot solve the problems of sinful humanity, it can't cure the sinful heart, and it cannot deal with disease and death, and the law was never intended to do that, it prescribed what God's requirement was for sinners to approach him. And leprosy kept people outside of God's community. It kept people away. First, because of the contagion of it, but also because that person was unclean. God was holy, and we are not, is one of the foundational things that's being communicated in the books of in the book of Leviticus. God's law is trying to show that sinners in our cursed state are not holy. We are unclean, and we are separated from God, and God has made a way to pursue us unclean sinners. So this man coming and begging Jesus, imploring him, he's asking him to be rid of the social stigma, not having to, every time he approaches other human beings, having to yell unclean, unclean. This man was experiencing probably more trauma than we than just the mere physical trauma that we normally think of. And his request, are you willing, are you desirous? Jesus is. He touches him, and he makes him clean. But then, note verse 30, uh, 43, there's all of a sudden this, when, you, when Steve was reading this, did you guys feel the, show, the shift in tone at verse 43, when all of a sudden Jesus sternly charged him saying to him at once and he said to him see and it says in the esv it says see that you say nothing to anyone and in the greek it's it's look say nothing to nobody don't say anything to anybody But go, show yourself to the priest, after your cleansing, to most, which Moses commanded, for proof to them, as a witness to them. It's the same word that proof to them that the ESV is translating is the same word for a martyr. A martyr is someone who bears witness in their death, right? In their death, they bear witness to Christ. What he's to do, what this leper is commanded to do, is he's to bear witness to the priest that this cleansing has taken place. He's to show the evidence that the prophecies of Isaiah are taking place. The blind see, those with diseases are healed, and the leper is cleansed. Jesus is showing with his miracles, these miracles have a purpose. These miracles have the purpose of being evidence to who Jesus is. Does does Jesus care about our suffering? Yes. But that's not what he's merely concerned with. Because humanity has a bigger problem than that. If Jesus' mission, his primary mission, was just to cure diseases and to heal people, and that was his primary focus in life, he would have dealt with the problem of humanity only for one generation. He, he pretty much eradicated all diseases and all demonic possessions in Israel, but for one generation. And what we often miss here, and what the crowd misses, is that we're not just to seek after Jesus and pursue him for what he can do for us. Pursuing him for our healing, for the benefits of health, wealth, and prosperity. But we're to seek after him because of who he is and what's behind these miracles. What these miracles tell us about Jesus And we know that this man did not accept this, did not think this way about these miracles, because immediately afterwards, verse 45, he went out and began to talk freely about it. Jesus came, verse 39, to preach, and he was preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons, and the same words used here, but he went out away from Jesus, and he began to preach. Preach freely about it, about his healing, about what God had done in his life, and to spread the news far and wide so effectively that he could not openly enter a town, but he had to go out into the desolate places and people had to come and flock to him. We're starting to see why Jesus does not want people to speak about his miracles or to spread the news. This is a theme throughout Mark's gospel. It's uh, called, sometimes referred to as like the secret messianic theme in Mark. And we're starting to see why in the very first chapter. First, he does not want to accept the testimony of demons to him being the Messiah not a good source of information you know you don't want to trust what a demon says about somebody and secondly Jesus is very concerned not just to do miracles for the sake of helping people which he is but Jesus is very concerned that his message be understood and what happens when people see miracles happening well they're intuition is just to go and get help to go and think that the healing is the end in and of itself focusing on what jesus can do for them that's ultimately what the crowd's demand is and what it reveals about them is they follow jesus everywhere they follow him to the house he's staying at they pursue him in the middle of the night to get healed they pursue him Even into the town, yes, but also even to the deserted places. Wherever Jesus is going, there's a crowd following him. But this crowd is following him for what he can do for them. The sad thing is, is how often, not just health and wealth preachers and people who go to those churches, they tend to focus on what Jesus can do to them instead of placing faith in Jesus Christ to save them. But we, too, often miss this. We, too, often pursue Jesus because, and we're told there's so many reasons to follow Jesus. You should follow Jesus because you have a sick aunt, maybe, and, you know, we, if, Jesus wants to hear, if you want Jesus to hear your prayers, that you need to be a follower of him. Or how about maybe in our circles, follow Jesus so that you won't go to hell. Follow Jesus so that you can live a moral life. Follow Jesus so that you can have a healthy marriage. Follow Jesus so that he will instruct you and you'll be a good citizen. Follow Jesus so that we can together save America. All those reasons, all those things are good. Healing is good. America being healthy is good. Healthy marriages are good. But those things even live in a moral life. Obviously, that's what God desires of people, that they live a moral life. But that is not why we follow Jesus. We do not follow Jesus merely to be our Savior. If we cannot have Jesus as our Savior, if he's not our Lord... And when you read Scripture about the reasons to follow Him, the reasons to follow Jesus and Him to be your master of your life is because of who God is. That God is good. That God is gracious. And He's even gracious to sinners. You might think because you look at your life and you know the things that you've done are wrong, that God could never love you. But instead, we run to Christ, and we are to follow him and entrust our lives to him, not just as a savior, but unlike this leper, in obedience as our master, because Jesus is king, and he does care for us. It's his character. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. We follow God because he is worthy of our following. We worship God this morning, not because of what we think to receive from God or we shouldn't. We're worshiping God this morning because we want to know the greatness of his mercy and his kindness. And we see when we do this, when we pursue him, we see that he is so good and so kind. And yes, the blessings do flow for us. And the health, wealth, and prosperity, that's just a timing issue. The Bible does not promise health, wealth, and prosperity in this life before Jesus' second coming. The health, wealth, and prosperity that's promised in Scripture is when the new heavens and the new earth arrive. All these blessings will flow to God's people. But if that's where our focus is, just like these people, just like this leper, we'll have missed it. So that's what it reveals about the crowd. This text reveals that the crowd is pursuing him for healing and what he can do for them but what does this text tell us about jesus about why this crowd should be following and pursuing after christ well let's get to the very let's look at the very first verse in our text here verse 35 that he rose very early in the morning and while it was still dark he departed and went out to a desolate place What we learn, and this is a constant thread throughout this text, is the compassion of Jesus. We learn something about the very character of Jesus. And you might know, and you might just assume, yes, of course, everyone knows that God is compassionate and loving. But this is something that in the very beginning of Mark's gospel, he wants to make sure from the very outset, is something that people see about the character of Jesus. That God loves sinners. And we see that communicated in various ways. First is here, maybe just as an aside note, the fact that he was praying. He got up very early in the middle of the night and he prayed. This is is an aside. Jesus was a human being. He was the God-man. There's three times that uh, Mark mentions that Jesus prayed, and it was... It's here in chapter 1. It's also in chapter 6 when he's praying on the mountain and he goes and meets his disciples in the middle of the lake, also really early in the morning. Uh, Also in Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is praying to his Father. And we see throughout all the Gospels, if we look at the other synoptic Gospels especially, we see that Jesus' life was marked by a pattern of prayer. And the reason why he prays is because Jesus is a human Being, He's fully God, fully man. He has a human body and a human soul. Jesus needed to pray. As a human being, he was dependent upon his father. Just as he was also dependent upon his food, on food to live. Jesus had to eat in order to survive. And also for his spiritual life, he had to pray. He was a human being. But that aside, notice that he's rising very early in the morning, that Jesus has been serving people, healing people late into the night. He's waking up early in the morning, and even though his goal, his task is to preach, he still ends up in verse 39. He goes throughout all of the Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So one way we see Jesus' compassion and his character of compassion is how busy he was. Jesus, his whole time was preoccupied in the service of others. Late into the night, from early morning, and then all throughout the next day, he ran himself ragged, serving sinners, preaching the message of salvation to see sinners saved, and healing people as he went through. Jesus was not doing spiritual disciplines disciplines of like uh, silence and solitude. And he also found it very early in the morning that he needed to pray so much that he had to wake up early, so early in the middle of the morning that it was still dark. We also see Jesus' compassion in that first interaction that he has with this leper. He said, If you desire to make me clean, you're able. Right? He said in verse 40, if you desire, you can make me clean. And we have here moved with pity. Jesus was moved with compassion. From the inner recesses of his heart. And his the word there is the same word for bowels. You know, we talk about our heart being the center of emotion. Jews and also Greeks spoke about. Their stomach, or really Greeks spoke about their stomachs as being the center of emotions. Deep in his gut, he was hit in the gut by this man's pain and suffering. And he moved with compassion. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I desire, be clean. We might miss this, but we talked about this leper suffering from uncleanness. That same prescription in Leviticus 13 and 14, that told how to interact with a leprous person and how to deal with it and how to resolve the issue if he ever became clean, also prescribed not touching him. Jesus could have just spoke, just like he did with the diseases, and he would have been clean. But instead, Jesus chose, out of his compassion, to reach out his hand and touch him making himself unclean in order to cleanse this sinner. And this is the very thing that Jesus, that the Father did for us when he sent his Son into the world. Jesus, in Philippians chapter 2, talks about how Jesus, not thinking equality of God as something to be grasped, but instead he humbled himself taking on the form of a slave, a servant, someone to serve sinners. Jesus in his incarnation was a holy God coming into an unholy world for the very purpose of redeeming sinners for God's glory. That's why he came. And he here purposefully touched this man and made himself unclean. And unlike the prosperity gospel preachers or Benny Hinn's of this world, immediately this man's leprosy left him, and he was made clean. I've recently watched a documentary called The American Gospel, which is focusing on the prosperity gospel as a movement stemming and coming out of America and being marketed throughout the globe and becoming by far the most successful sect of Christianity, thriving in poor communities where people are in desperate need. And people, just like people were flocking to Jesus, now they're flocking to these crusades, giving everything they have and funding people like Benny Hinn's of this world or Oral Roberts or uh, Kenneth Copeland's or T.D. Jakes, or Creflo Dollars of this world, funding them and paying them in order to get healing. But instead here, instead of paying someone in order to heal you, if you have enough faith, and, and sifting through the documentary, part of what it did is it showed how there's a sifting process that goes, that goes on in these crusades where they keep, the disabled, the crippled, out from view, out from coming on stage, and they only allow people who have unseen uh, problems to come on stage for healings. That paraplegics are kept out, but if someone has a headache, they're allowed up on stage. So that when the healing happens, that you're not able to perceive that. And there's a book now that's out by uh, Kosti Hinn, talking about how he used to run these crusades, if you're interested in Kasi Hinn's book. I think it came out in about like 2017, 18. But the point here for us is that he immediately healed him and he was clean. And Jesus' compassion was also for that God's law would be followed. Verse 44, he said to him, "See that say nothing to nobody. Go show them to yourself to the priest for your cleansing what moses commanded for proof to them jesus part the miracle that he was showing to this leper he wanted him to be a witness he wanted him to show the evidences of jesus and what he had done for him but he wanted him to show it in the way that god's law prescribed following leviticus 13 and 14 for cleansing so that thanks could be offered to who to god in his temple, giving thanks to God for it and showing it to the priest, just as Moses commanded, following the law, as a witness to them. The leper got, obviously, and you would think anyone, anyone who would have been dramatically healed would have been really excited about this, about their situation and wanting to spread it to anyone and everyone who would hear him. But Jesus had sternly warned him Show this evidence to the priest. Even though the priest would reject him throughout his entire ministry, even though he would be a temptation for Jesus throughout his entire ministry, Jesus wanted them to see the evidences of who he is and that he truly was the Messiah. You know, when John the Baptist would question when he was in prison, he was the forerunner of Jesus. He would be in prison and question Jesus, are you really him? Are you really the Messiah? And Jesus does not answer his question directly. He says, Go and tell him the miracles you've seen, that the blind see, the lepers are healed. The Pharisees were to look at this evidence and see that the Messiah, the one Isaiah had spoken of, had arrived. Jesus, when he calls us to follow him, this is not a blind faith. The faith that God commands of us, faith in Jesus Christ, true saving faith, is faith that sees evidence. Sees the evidence of who God is. Sees evidence that Jesus is who he said he was. He was the Messiah, the Son of God. And that is the reason why you are to follow Him. This is not blind faith that's being commanded of God's people. This is a faith that sees the evidence. The evidence that Scripture gives us. God's own testimony to His own acts in history. Jesus' Jesus's compassion is seen in how He lives a life of busy service that he is moved by the pain that he sees in this world that even now we have a high priest who understands our situation who understands our pain hebrews chapter 7 through 9 talks about how we have a high priest who cares and is interceding for us right now in heaven and Jesus' compassion is shown to have a purpose. And the purpose is to be evidences to who he is, as a witness to who he is. Looking at this, we, we've seen the demand for compassion and what it's taught us, the, what the demand has taught us about the crowd and what the compassion has taught us about who Jesus is and the evidence for him being the Messiah, being the primary purpose. He did this. The the reason why compassion, the reason why miracles are not the epicenter of our attention and the the main thing that we are to focus upon when we think about Jesus is because of what he said, why he came back in verse 39 or verse 38 rather. Remember when Jesus asked him that question, when when all the crowd has this demand and they're lacking the supply and they're coming for Jesus for healing, he says, everyone's looking for you. You can hear that subtle rebuke in that statement. Like, what are you doing? All alone in the middle of the wilderness? People are looking for you. And Jesus does not answer his question directly. He says to them, let us go to the next town's that I may preach there also. For this is why I came. Jesus came to preach. And everything he did was to focus people on the message he preached. And the message, at this point, it might be helpful to say that the message he preached is slightly different than the one we preach, that I'm preaching. And don't be worried. The message he preached was that the kingdom is near. That the time is fulfilled, yes, but the kingdom is close. Because he was born to die, and his death was soon to come. And when he died, his resurrection would be soon. And his enthronement ceremony that we see on the day of Pentecost would be coming soon. They did not have much longer to wait for their salvation to be accomplished. But the message we preach, our message that is authenticated by the miracles that Jesus performed in our text and by the miracles the apostles did that point to who Jesus is, our message is that Jesus has already died. The kingdom is not soon to come. It has come. Jesus died on the cross and our salvation was accomplished at that moment 2,000 years ago. In his resurrection, our eternal life was purchased. An eternal life that is, we experience the fruits of it in this life, but the full fruits of it will not flower until the resurrection at the last day. Our resurrection in his ascension, the people were looking for this kingdom to come soon, but it's already come. Jesus is right now sitting at the throne of his father, on the right hand of God, on the throne of David, and he is right now ruling over the universe, having compassion towards sinners, preaching the only message that does save. that Jesus Christ is the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. And we should seek Him to be our Savior. But He cannot be like this leper, merely our Savior. We cannot come to Him and say, we will not submit to Him as our King. We'll only submit to Him as our Savior. We're to submit to Him, believe in Him, and what He said about Himself, that He is, yes, the Savior of humanity, but he's also the king of kings. He's also the God of the universe incarnate who died on the cross to save sinners. And he is compassionate. He sees our life. He knows that we are unclean, that we are undeserving. But fortunately for us, our salvation, just like the salvation of this leper, did not depend upon his inherent goodness. The salvation of this leper depended on God's ability to clean. And if you go to God, if you reach out to him, if you believe that Jesus is able to save you, and you call out to him, he is able. And he is more than willing. More than desires to save sinners. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. That in your word you have revealed so much about ourselves and the crowds that follow Jesus. Lord, we confess that we too seek you often for what you can do for us. That we often see that we are in need of prayer when we are in sickness and we, our prayers tend to intensify when we are sick when we see that we need you to save our life or save us out of trouble or save us from the consequences of our sin. Lord, we need your help. We need the help of your Holy Spirit to provoke our hearts, not only to pray to you when we are sick and when we are needy, but to pray to you always without ceasing, that we would always entrust our lives to you, that we would follow you and not just as a get-out-of-hell-free card, even. But that we would follow you as our master. That we would seek you for healing of our souls for eternal life. But more than that, that we would see your goodness and seek to obey your word. Seek to believe all that the Bible teaches about who you are and what you've done for sinners. Lord, may we always be focused upon not what you can do for us, but focus upon your mercy, knowing that you are kind, that you are willing to forgive all who come to you. Lord, I pray that we would also remember that as we preach your gospel, your good news to others, that we would know that you are willing to save sinners. Lord, I pray that we would ask for your Holy Spirit, for those who do not trust you, that you would Reveal Yourself to them, that You draw them near to You, and that they would find themselves believing Your Word and entrusting your life, their life to You. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen.